Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. You know, everybody loves a good story, right? I think we actually have, if you're anything like me, like six different streaming services where you're navigating, following all your different shows all at once because we just have to know. We have to know what's happening in that severance basement. We have to know what's happening in Hope Valley. We have to know what's going on with Moon Knight. Has anybody figured that out yet? It's a weird story, but we love stories. Our culture is addicted to them. Did you know that in March of this year, Netflix had 225 million subscribers? There's probably about a billion watching uh, because some people might have been sharing their passwords. <laughs> Nobody in here, I know. But Prime Video, 205 million. Disney Plus, 130 million. HBO Plus, 85 million. Hulu, 45 million. Okay, a time of confession. Who has two of these services right now? Who has three? Who has four? Who has all five? Yeah, yeah. No shame, no shame. I myself watch four of them, and that's crazy. It is crazy. And that's not even counting regular TV. Remember regular TV? That's still a thing. But we're a culture addicted to stories. And the smart people say it's not all bad, just so you know. There's an anthropologist named uh, Daniel Smith who is from the University College London, and he found that those who invest a lot of time, more time in storytelling, in the hearing of stories, actually are the most cooperative during various experimental tasks. He said it does two things. He says it helps your problem solving and it grows your empathy. So that's what you can tell your spouse next time when you're binging another hour with your iPad balanced on your chest. I'm growing my empathy, honey. That's what you're doing. Yeah. We love our stories, and it's not a new thing. Stories are as old as we are from the very beginning. We started telling them to, to define what's important to us, to caution us, to remember important things. And my favorite kind of story, stories that urge us to aspire to greater things. One of my favorite stories of all time is Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha. Have you ever seen this musical? To dream the impossible dream. If you listen to that song every day, your day is going to start just right. It's amazing. It's awesome. It tells the story of this old man who reads too many romance novels, and he thinks he's a knight fighting dragons, although he's really just tilting at windmills. And he thinks he's saving this pure maiden, although she is far from pure. Her name's Aldonza, but Quixote calls her Dulcinea. Dulcinea. He treats her like a princess. And no one has ever treated Aldonza like a princess before. And she can't stand it. Even though he's like this crazy guy, he truly, selflessly, respectfully loves her. And for the longest time, Man, she can't stand him. She wants nothing to do with him. But he persists and he defends her. 
In the final scene of the movie, Aldonza is walking away just heartbroken because this crazy loving man has passed away. And Sancho Panza's sidekick says, Aldonza, she says, Dulcinea. Isn't that the most beautiful story you've ever heard? <laughs> that he loved her so well that she changed the way, changed the way she felt about herself. That's the most Jesus kind of story there is. Because that's the way God loves us. He loves us in such a way it changes the way we feel about ourselves. I love that. I cry every time I see it, even this past week. It's a beautiful story. Because stories hit us like nothing else. Even God chose to share how much he loves us through an amazing, heartbreaking, twists and turns, centuries-old story, because that's what the Bible is, through and through. It's a story about how the lengths that God has gone to to show us how much he loves us. And today, as we jump into this series on Next Steps, I get the honor and privilege of telling you a story, the story of Northeast Christian, how it got to where it is today. And, uh, you know, we've had so many people join us over the last couple of years. I know every weekend I'm meeting so many of you all who say, hey, I just started coming three months ago. I started coming a month ago. I, I have questions. I, I love the Love the Bill thing. I love the music. I love Tyler. But I, I, I need to know some, some answers to some questions. And uh, that's what we hope to start answering today. Because we want you to be engaged in this service. It's my joy today to share that story and along the way how God has directed us and led us to who we are. Will you pray with me before we start? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the way it has not only changed the lives of so many through the Holy Spirit, but God, how you've changed our community through it. Lord, I thank you for the people of this church who make it what it is. Thank you for today that we get to celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's right. In 1977, the Kentuckiana Christian Mission of Louisville wanted to plant a church on the northeast part of Jefferson County. They were part of a group that was from the Restoration Movement. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, the Restoration Movement is a collection of movements that started around the 1800s, led by folks like Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, that looked to restore restoration, the church, to what the New Testament described because they saw a lot of church traditions and church doctrines that really didn't fit what the Bible was saying and they were dividing and dividing and dividing congregations. And so they said, let's get back to the basics. And it was in 1801 where this moment happened, this moment called the Cane Ridge Revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, that's just outside of Paris, just outside of Lexington. It was said to have 10 to 20,000 people at it. Folks, that was about 10% of the entire population of Kentucky at the time. Isn't that wild? And they were preaching Jesus. It was an old school revival. And they were proclaiming things like, we have no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, no name but the name of Christian. You wonder why churches have the name Christian Church. It goes back to this idea. And they were saying things like, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. If you wonder why this church has a heart for unity among churches, this is why. And if you also wonder why there's a lot of large Christian churches in the state of Kentucky, these things happened in our own backyard. And so it was right here. And these are things we still believe today, that the Bible is the word of God. 
that it's our source of truth, that Jesus is why we do everything we do, that he is the Son of God, he is our Lord and Savior. So then fast forward back to 1977, and folks from this movement were planting a church on the northeast edge of civilization. Yeah, that's what this was. It's amazing to think back. And a group, including Bob Russell, the founding pastor at Southeast, was a part of the hiring group for a new pastor that they hired, a young youth minister named G. Robert Cherry. Look at that baby face. He doesn't age, does he? It's amazing, a young, dynamic leader concerned about people, and that is true. I love it. On September 25th, 1977, they held the very first service at Zachary Taylor Elementary, right there at Westport and Hurstburn Lane. It was right there. And they had 71 people who showed up. And Bob must have done a pretty good job because 29 folks became members that very day. And we still have a handful of folks who put their starting point in this church back at Zachary Taylor. Are there any in here today? Anybody? Where are you? I see a hand up there. Yeah, somewhere, yeah. We've got a, it's so cool. I can name a few people right now. The first service, we had about 10 folks sitting all around here and it was so beautiful because that's over 40 years ago. They've been a part of our congregation for that long. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's so moving. You know, we met at Zachary Taylor for a few years and soon the church was ready for its own building. And so they found this property even further out on the edge of Jefferson County where there was nothing, and I mean nothing. There were, there were cornfields and cows, nothing out here. But people were saying, hey, we think one day that part of town might really blow up. Like it might really grow one day. And I think they were right. And so the church members got to building the very first building with their own hands. Do you know that the chapel across the street that's now our park for our children was the first chapel. It was built by the hands of those members. And did you know what? On July 18th, 1982, they had their very first service. And people continued to come as Bob preached practical, life-applicable sermons. And he had this way of speaking directly to folks, like he's been looking in their windows all week long. Who joined Northeast during those chapel years? Yeah, my mom back there, that's right. I did. That's what I love about sharing this history Because it's not just about property and buildings, it's about people. When people intersected with this church community, they were saved, they were changed through the amazing grace of Jesus. As our church continued to grow, uh, so in 1987, they built a family life center. And it had a full-size gym and kitchen where they would have sports leagues, Sunday school classes, Wednesday night dinners. Mm. There's something holy about eating with other people. I like eating with other people. And it was a strong knit community with summer picnics out at the McMakin farm. And check this out, when you became a member, you got put on the rotation to clean the church. That was a thing. We would all take turns cleaning sections of the church. But the church was also looking at ways to make an impact on the community. And there was a basketball league that just blew up And young families just started attending, and the message at the time was a simple one. It was love God and love others. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the next is like it. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That alongside of the Great Commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, every church has a vision or a mission statement, but really all of them, all of them are built on these essential Bible verses right here. And you know what? That church of 450 back then was trying to live out those simple truths. And it's in those early days that God was preparing us for an incredible amount of growth. In the early 90s, the church entered into a very interesting time. There was this growing sentiment that the church and culture were in two separate worlds. And while that's always going to be true to a point, the evangelistic side of the church really, really wanted to find a way to build a bridge build a bridge because people didn't feel like church was for them. They felt like it was for their grandparents. Nothing that they're doing there is for me. And so Northeast wanted to be those, one of those churches that started building a bridge. We didn't want to just have a club where insiders were doing insider stuff, but we wanted to create common ground where non-church folks felt comfortable and could relate and most importantly experience the amazing grace of God. And we saw our people put aside their preferences we saw people put aside the hymns and traditions and things they love to make visitors welcome. And so with Bob's strong leadership and his wife, Vicki, who was very creative and gifted in the arts, we started incorporating dramas and video and secular songs and using drums. That was a big deal. And it struck a chord because soon the overflow was overflowing. We were growing in such an amazing way. And it was in 1993 that we built our 1,000-seat auditorium that would, tell the arts, that, would tell, that would tell the story of Jesus through the arts in beautiful, creative, thought-provoking ways and where the constant truth of the Bible was preached. That's now been remodeled into our student center. And who came to the church during the auditorium years? I was looking at a lot of videos this past week and saw a lot of baptism videos. I saw a lot of your all's faces. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, the community continued to grow, and the youth and children's programs also continued to be a place where kids brought their parents to church. Who grew up at this church? That's a beautiful thing. Can we be excited about that? I am. I am. Because in the first service, we got to see Kristen Thurman, who grew up here, baptize her daughter Addison, 10-year-old, her and her husband baptized their daughter. And it's a beautiful picture of what I think we all hope for our families as we grow up in a family of faith. It's such a beautiful thing. And through that time, we spoke about the abundant life that can be found in Christ. Remember that? John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. And during that season, we saw marriages saved. So many students being sent into ministry and into the mission field and baptisms happening every weekend. And so much growth that one service wasn't enough. We had to add a second service, actually had to add a third service. And it was during that time we celebrated our 25th anniversary on September of 2002 in a special service downtown at the palace. It's a moment I'll never forget when Bob asked us to take out these little light-up pins that everyone was given. And he asked, if you came to Jesus at Northeast, please raise up your light. Many did, myself included. And then he asked, if your life was changed in Northeast, please raise your light. And with the glow of all these pins filling that room, it's a moment I'll never forget. Who was there for that? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. At that same event, we challenged 100 people to come up on the stage. And we gave them $100 each. And we asked them 
Use that money, grow that money, find a way to serve others with it. And through that kingdom assignment, God used that $10,000 and grew it into millions for ministry. What's awesome to think about, that was over 20 years ago. There's a couple things that are still going today that started that day. One of them is Spark Hope, one of our local partners. It's a ministry to single parents that helps them change the trajectory of their lives through education, counseling, immediate needs, still going strong today. PB&J, where our folks come together and they make these simple peanut butter and jelly meals for the homeless, still happening today in a partnership with St. John's. So much more ministry that came from that because there was this heart of generosity and service that was evident back then and God was growing us to realize what it meant to look outside of ourselves and love our community. So we're wondering what's next. Can we just keep adding services or do we need to make bigger plans? And so it was in 2007 where we started the Unleash campaign. And not only were we raising money to maximize the campus here at Brownsboro, but Bob had also felt a pull to do something in the Clifton area of town. Imagine his surprise, this is a true story, when he was contacted by the historic Clifton Christian Church, right off Frankfurt Avenue, right off Vernon. They asked him to help. They said, we need your help. We got an aging congregation. And so we started dreaming with them on what a partnership would look like. And it's looked a few different ways over the years, but we're so thankful for that congregation down at Clifton. We think they're the best example of what a church can be for a neighborhood. And under Joey Keck's leadership down there, they continue to make an incredible difference and teach us how to be engaged and in our community. So thankful for Clifton. Maximizing the property at Brownsboro meant renovating all of our children's areas on the other side of Main Street and building this auditorium that we're in now. And the whole goal wasn't to be bigger. It was to provide more room for people to come. And they did as we continued to see lives transformed by the Holy Spirit every week. At this point, Bob had been leading the church for over 30 years. And at this point, he wanted to start planning Northeast's next step. More specifically, who would lead Northeast into its next season? And it was in June 2012 that a 26-year-old Tyler McKenzie and his beautiful bride, Lindsay, joined our church. Yeah. And he brought a new vitality and a new vision to the church. And just like in the 90s, we were seeing culture changing again. We opened up brand new opportunities. There's a guy named Reggie McNeil uh, who wrote a book called The Present Future Around This Time. And here's what he said about the culture. He said, people in the non-church culture don't associate Jesus with church. They believe the church is out for itself, looking out more for the institution than for people. And he went on to say, God is still inviting us to join him on mission, but it is in the invitation to be part of a movement not a religious club, to gain a hearing for the gospel in the streets of the 21st century. This is what it's going to take, the smell of cleaning solution, dirty faces, obvious acts of servanthood. And Tyler saw exactly the same thing. And you've probably heard him say it this way. When people think about church, they think about something and it's not good. We want to redefine church around the love of Jesus, no strings attached. The Bible says it this way in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they don't agree with you, they don't agree with what you do or why you do it, but they may see your good deeds and they may glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is the heart of the Love the Ville movement. In 2014, our church did something bold. Instead of having a weekend service, we took our service to the streets of Clifton. 
the 40206. We loaded up buses and we took about 1,700 people down to Cliffy where we asked the neighbors, businesses, how can we help? And then we helped. We cleaned windows, we trimmed shrubs and the roses, we cleaned the parks, gave away hot dogs, gave away bicycles. It was one of the most beautiful days. Who was a part of that day going down on those buses? And it was awesome because you guys loved it because the thing we heard time and time again is, when are we doing this again? When are we doing it again? And the time was right. In 2016, Bob passed the baton of leadership over to Tyler as he and Vicki retired to Florida and grandkids and leadership opportunities. And if, yep, yep, celebrate that. Over 39 years. <clears throat> and we're pretty sure he's at uh, Disney World every other day. If you follow his Instagram, that's what it looks like. But good for him. We love it. We love it. He's still a part of our Clifton campus when they're in town. You know what? The Love the Ville movement, it went from, or he said, he said the best years of Northeast are still ahead. He said that on that final day, and we still believe it. Because the Love the Ville movement went from an event to a lifestyle. And here's what we want to be. A people who are unleashing the love of Jesus every day, everybody, everywhere. In our home, our workplace, our school, our city, our church. That's who we are today. And that's how we've gotten here. Now I want to talk about where we're going. Because it's been an interesting uh, last few years of COVID. And we got to celebrate something just a few months ago. And I don't know if you got to see this. But did you know that right now, as of now, our church is debt-free? Did you know that? It's awesome. Because of you all. And we're so thankful for that. We are. And so as we ask big questions about what's next, we want to give you a little peek behind the curtain so you can see what's driving all of our decisions here. And we want to be able to share with you our values. And I don't think anything is going to be a big surprise, but everything we do will flow out of these five guiding principles. And here they are. Intimacy with God, love for neighbor, faithfulness to the truth, public witness, and missional intentionality. Here's what that means to us. We value intimacy with God because we live our lives connected to God and we desire to grow closer to him. We do that by spending time in his word, not just so we get Bible knowledge and facts, but so we can know him. We also spend time in prayer. And this shouldn't be a boring task, but it should be life-giving. Both of these are an important part of a relationship. And it's so much more than just coming to a service on a weekend and checking a box. We push you to resources that are available all week long. And we also think that growth happens best when we do it alongside others. That's why mentors and small groups and studies will always be an important part of what we do here. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we believe that. And we also think that our actions as a church are in vain if our relationship with God is lacking. We don't want that to be the case. Second, we value love for neighbor. It's a great command that we don't take lightly. We're called to sacrificially love our neighbor and to put their needs in front of our own. And this means everyone, from the church down the street to the atheists that you work next to, to people who agree with everything we say and people who hate us. We will love them all because that's what we're called to do. That our love is for everyone, no strings attached. 
faithfulness to the truth. We will not compromise the truth even when what we have to say is unpopular or will get us canceled. And we find that truth in the Bible. And we will commit ourselves to teach and to live that truth the best we can. And we will also promise to share that truth in love because we feel that's the only way it's really heard. Public witness. We are always intentional with how we live and serve so that we can share the love of Jesus with others. And we do this through relationship and through service. We will always serve first. We like to say it this way. We will always walk the walk and we're ready to talk the talk when the time is right. Because we think one of the most loving things you can do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. We do. Henry's one of the best at that. You know what? We think that conversation happens best. That opportunity happens best when there's been a trust already built. And that happens when you serve and love somebody. Mission intentionality. We see every area of our life, our home, our work, our city, our church, our school, for the students. We see that as a place to unleash the love of Jesus. And this is why we show up at our schools, our 11 partner schools. This is why we have outreach partners all throughout the city so that you can serve and be a part of it. But maybe God is opening your eyes to a very special need that he wants you to serve in. That's where we want you to serve. That's why we encourage you to have Love the Ville playbooks so that you can live your life out intentionally in every area of service. I know in Collins, Louisville FCA is written in there on his city. And I'll tell you what, it's making a difference, especially in Duncan's life. So what are you doing practically to live out your life for Jesus? Because it's part of our hope that every weekend you walk out of this building with a new enthusiasm, a new energy, a new practical way to unleash the love of Jesus Monday through Saturday in your life. Will you do that? These are our values that drive everything we do. So how do we want you to engage in that? The question we like to ask around here is what's your next step? And I'm glad you asked. <laughs> if you want to be a stakeholder here, and we don't that's what we call a member here. We don't have members that get added to a list. Because if we did, we'd bring back that church cleaning thing for sure. <laughs> we have stakeholders. And stakeholders are people who are fully engaged in community, servanthood, and generosity. And if you want to find out even more of what that means, what that means in all those different areas, then your next best step is Northeast Basics. This is a brand new opportunity that we're starting out, and it's a four-week class. It's going to be running every weekend. So if you miss one, you can catch up on the next one. Northeast Basics, four weeks long. It's going to start the first round of it in May 22nd. You can go right now and sign up today to be a part of Northeast Basics. And we, if you want to get into a group, your next best step, Northeast Basics. If you want to find a place to serve, next best step, Northeast Basics. You have a question about our theology? Guess what? That's right. Northeast Basics. It's going to be the next best step. All those folks who have been coming to me the last few weeks as I've been walking around meeting you who say, you know what? I've been thinking about joining. Northeast Basics is your next step. And I encourage you to take it. I encourage you to take it. Because there's another story we haven't talked about yet. Your story. Yours. Because you've been writing your story for a long time, and no one, not one author sitting in this room, would have been able to dream up the last few years of COVID. They wouldn't have wanted to. And it's thrown everybody for a loop. But to be honest, your life wasn't all that great before that, right? 
Even apart from the stress of a worldwide pandemic, our lives were a little bit out of control. And they weren't the beautiful, amazing, dreaming the impossible dreams we one day hoped they would be. You know, there were, for a lot of you all, you were writing your stories and it just hit a wall. Maybe there was this specific word that was written in permanent ink on your storyline and you just can't get past it. For some of you, you stalled on a word like divorce or a word like cancer. Some stopped on broken, fired, addicted, mental illness, unseen. And you can't erase that word, you can't get past that word, and you show up because you just have one little morsel of hope that maybe, maybe something can change. Well, I believe you're here at this church for a reason. Because we need to tell you, you can hand that pen to Jesus. Because he's not done with your story yet. He has a way of taking those dead-end words, and he doesn't delete them or erase them. He does something even more incredible. He redeems them. He takes places where there's despair, and he starts writing joy. He takes places where joy has not been in years, and he starts writing it. Your story's not over, and I know this to be the case because I've seen it happen in the people who are sitting around you right now. Folks who were marriage were on the rocks, and Jesus wrote reconciliation. People who were addicted, and Jesus starts writing healthy. People who were isolated and alone long before we needed to be isolated and alone, and Jesus wrote community. People who lost their shine, they gave it over to Jesus, and they found a new passion and a new purpose outside of themselves. And he just doesn't want it for the people sitting around you. He wants it for you. He loves you. And the most beautiful thing is it's not just for you, but when you let Jesus start writing your story, it's for your family. And it's for your neighbor. And it's for your coworker because what Jesus writes in your story is going to be the start of their story with Jesus. And that's our hope for this church. That's our hope. I know that he can do it. If you take your next step. One more last story. Middle school punk with a chip on his shoulder. He was looking for nothing but trouble because it sounded like fun and what did he have to lose? Wearing Budweiser slip-ons and trying to be cool but never succeeding, always trying because he wanted more than anything to be accepted and it just seemed to elude him though. Then he played in this basketball league at this church that had just built a gym. His team went undefeated that season, not due to anything he had to do on the team. I think he scored two points but his brother was really good at basketball. But he was invited back to a Sunday night youth thing. And most of the time when he went to something new, it was a group that didn't have any more space for anybody. Almost like the Forrest Gump seat-taking kind of situation. But that's not what he found here. Instead, he found a group that accepted him, whether it was cool or not. They wanted him here. They remembered his name even without him doing something crazy to make them remember it. 
And he just kept showing up. Just kept showing up. And God grabbed a hold of his heart. Because he realized that the people here were the way they were. Because they knew a God that loved them even though they were messed up too. Then God said, I got this life to the full. Do you want it? He said, I sure do. He was baptized by Bob. He was poured into by youth leaders like Toby and Joan and was loved by ministers like Steve and Ron. And as I look back on my life, I've messed a lot of things up. But Jesus has written, written a better story than I could have ever imagined. He has. And he wants to do the same for every single one of us. Every single person sitting in here, we want this to be the place where even though you got junk, you come in here and you are loved. And God grabs a hold of your heart and gives you so much life that you can't hold it in, you got to unleash it. Every day, everybody, everywhere. Why? Because Jesus is why. Will you, will you let him write the next chapter of your life? Will you give him that pen and take that next step? Because God's going to write something more than you can ask or imagine.